Engineers can and regularly do change the world. And right now, we need engineers more than ever as we look to an uncertain future. A changing climate, a growing population and geopolitical insecurity all present their own challenges. And to solve those challenges, we need a steady flow of skilled workers. But we have a problem, and that is we don't have enough. Engineering UK estimates that 124,000 engineers and technicians are required every year to meet current and future demand for core engineering roles to 2024. The energy sector alone needs to fill 400,000 jobs before 2050. 260,000 of these will be new jobs, and so we need to attract around 65% more engineers every year. And then consider that in order to retrofit our nation's homes, a further 45,000 technicians will be needed to be trained each year to develop new fabrics and install new systems such as heat pumps. So where have all the engineers gone and how can we turn this shortfall problem into an opportunity? After all, engineers bring ideas to life, turn dreams into reality and make solutions to big challenges possible. They design, fix, invent and improve and they're changing people's lives and our world for the better. And as we transition towards a net zero world, we need engineers more than ever. And so in today's Global Safety Podcast from Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm joined by a fantastic panel to explore how we attract new entrants to this amazing world of engineering. First of all, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Slingsby from Lloyd's Register Foundation. Tim is Director of Skills and Education for the Foundation. Dr. Hilary Leavers is CEO of Engineering UK, a not-for-profit organisation passionate about inspiring the next generation working in engineering and technology. And finally, we have Virtue Bokaway. Virtue is a civil engineer and an ICE STEM ambassador. And I'm hoping she'll provide us with her own insight into what skills she thinks future engineers will need. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Welcome, everyone. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello. Now, before we look at the ways in which young people and new entrants can be attracted to a career in engineering, I want to highlight just how important the industry is and will be increasingly so in the coming years. The Institute of Civil Engineers has been staging an exhibition entitled Time is Running Out, which focuses on the role civil engineers can play in helping society respond to the challenges of climate change and meet our net zero targets by 2050. We spoke to Ayoa Shokola. Ayoa is a chartered civil engineer, TV presenter and a member of the Institute of Civil Engineers. She told us more about the exhibition and why it's so important. I'm a chartered civil engineer and I work at the Environment Agency as a project team manager. And what we do at the Environment Agency is we reduce the risk of flooding to communities. We as civil engineers play a massive part in reducing the risk of flooding. I mean, look at the Thames Barrier, most of the infrastructure that is alleviating or reducing risk to communities. That is civil engineering infrastructure. A reservoir or a bund or an embankment or a massive tidal wall, a gate or you know, even locks and weirs and those systems, you know, these are all civil engineering and this is what we do. We're the rock stars of engineering. I saw engineering for what it is, a thing that can change the world around me, transform communities, change people's lives. And that kind of really captured my imagination. When you build a bridge, it connects communities. When you think about infrastructure in that way and what it does for people and society, that was the thing that captured my imagination. It just felt like I'm... Well, what a superhero would do, really. And then I learned about engineers who kind of transform the world, like Joseph Bazalgette with the sewers and like saving London from cholera. That kind of really excited me. And I obviously just thought, wow, I've got to follow this passion. 
I think the key exhibition message is basically to highlight that we are facing climate change challenge. I think most people are aware of that, but it's highlighting the roles of civil engineers in that, the crucial role that is in responding to the climate emergency, be it like myself and flood risk, or in helping communities adapt to climate change. So it's putting that connection that everyone's aware climate change is happening, but then making people aware that the role that civil engineers play in that. So that's what the key thing the exhibition is trying to really um, convey. Time is running out to cut carbon emissions and adapt to climate change. And civil engineers are the people who can do that. And it's a career that will help anyone who wants to make a difference in this space. So let's say you're a young person and climate change is something that really concerns you, as it concerns so many of us. You know, you you learn by the end of that exhibition that civil engineering is a pathway to making a difference. And whoever you are, whatever age you are, be it a family, it's an inspiring day. And it at least makes you feel that there's something you can do or there's someone out there doing that thing. So the exhibition kind of try to highlight, you know, key things. I've talked a lot about flooding because that's what I do, but it talks about the value of water, which is also really important, or how we end waste or how we keep travelling. It answers this with videos and, you know, it shows other incredible people who work in my industry and what they're doing, creating smarter cities or you know, trying to figure out how to improve energy. So it kind of showcases these really big questions that are facing us as civil engineers and kind of building the world in the context of climate change and net zero 2050. So it answers those questions and kind of through case studies and profiles of engineers like myself and many others, it showcases all the different paths and strands to this kind of major work in adapting to climate change. And you can actually watch a virtual tour online. So they have it at the IC's website under IC time is running out. So if you search that as well, that will come up and you can see the virtual tour and see some of the stuff. I think everyone will enjoy it, be it that you're an avid future engineer or, you know, a family who just wants to have a really fun day out. Now, before we take a deep dive into engineering, I want to do a quick fire question to each of you on the panel. And I'm going to start with you, Hilary. What was your own personal route into the world of engineering? Uh, well, I was passionate about maths and physics at school. And I was definitely someone who took things apart and put them back together. My first job was at proper engineering. But then I diverted in my studies, went over to psychology and neuroscience, became a research scientist, took a long career break, had kids went into policy and education and then the Royal Engineering UK came back and I just, it felt like it spoke to my core, actually. It really pulled me back over. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Virtue, what about you? Yes, mine's kind of very similar to Hillary in terms of I really did like maths, physics, but mainly like product design as well. You have a design brief, it's quite creative. So I wanted to mix all three of those elements together, pull, pull from their strengths. And my physics teacher told me about civil engineering. I was like, oh, this is great. Like there's design, there's mechanics, there's, there's drawings. It was everything that I was looking for in a, like, a subject or a degree to study. So I chose to study in uni. Then I fell in love with it even more. And so now I'm currently working as a civil engineer. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think it's really important what you say, Virtue, about being creative. I think some people forget how creative engineering is, don't they? Yeah, definitely. What about you, Tim? Is, was it maths and physics for you? Do you know, I think I'm still on my journey into engineering. I've always, like Hilary said a few minutes ago, been absolutely fascinated by how things work and also pulled apart clocks and made attempts to put them back together. But ultimately, I got more fascinated in how people work and I ended up being um, a geneticist so did some genetic engineering as part of my studies 
but then motivated more and more by actually identifying solutions to things rather than asking questions about things, I saw uh, engineering as, as the route to doing that. I remember very distinctly being at um, the Royal College of Art talking in their, in their School of Design and one of their professors handing me a phone and said, you know, this is design, this is engineering. And, and just the way he talked about it, it was sort of one of those eye-opening moments where I thought, oh my goodness, yes, that, that is engineering. So every, every so often I find myself in conversations with brilliant people, brilliant engineers around the world and having another moment thinking, gosh, yes, this is engineering and it is brilliant and it can make the world better. And making the world better is why I think engineering is so important. That's a great start for me, Well, Thank you very much. Um, Tim, I'm going to stay with you um, because I want to take a look now at the current state of engineering, not just in the UK, but actually across the globe as well. But first, I want to be really clear to our listeners. Why is it so important that we have more engineers, Tim? Well, at the foundation, we believe that we will always need more engineers to make the world a safer place. So we're coming up with um, a realisation about some of the crises that the world is facing and some of the challenges that the world shares. And engineering is a solution to many of those crises and problems. To give you an example... Um, we all know that the world's population is expected to be um, you know, 9 billion by 2050. But more than that, it's going to be 70% urban. That means 70% of all the people around the world are going to be living in city-like environments. So what that means is that more and more people around the world are going to need all of the assets underpinning energy generation and telecommunications and data and transportation That in itself requires investments of trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars by 2050. And therefore, in just 20 years time or so, we need to design and construct infrastructure on an enormous scale, several times what currently exists in the whole of Europe. And we need to do that whilst also adjusting and adapting to a changing climate and making sure that existing infrastructure continues to be resilient as well. And that, in a rather large and misshapen nutshell, spells out the need for more engineers in the right places doing the right things. Is this a global problem? Do we need more engineers just in the UK or is there a shortage, you know, across the world? Well, to me, it's it's a global problem, particularly where there's population growth driving that need for new critical infrastructure. And we see, you know, real peaks of population growth, not to get too specific, but in, in parts of Africa and in parts of Southeast Asia as well, of course. Virtue, you were nodding there as well. I mean, do you do you think this is a, a shortage across the world, not just in the UK? Yeah, definitely. But I kind of want to add on a point of why we do need engineers, because even during the pandemic, I had a summer placement with a company and most of my friends had their placement cancelled. But civil engineers were still needed, regardless if there was a global pandemic or not. It just showed that, like, regardless of what's happening, we still need those civil engineers on site to keep like our day to day lives functioning. We're like sort of a, a victim of our own success because we, we feel invisible. Engineers feel invisible because we do, you know, keep the roads running or the lights on or whatever as well. Yeah. Hilary, do you want to come in? Actually, that's a really interesting time during the pandemic because all of those infrastructure roles were prioritised to continue, but also engineers are making their own unique response to support us through the pandemic from, you know, the development of new production of ventilators and delivering the vaccines at scale to um, the delivering of oxygen and actually, you know, the building of the Nightingale hospitals. And I feel recognising that hugely critical role that they played um, is is really important and a story we need to keep reminding the public about. Absolutely. Everybody's nodding there as well. Yeah, everybody agrees. Let's look at the figures then. What what has happened to the job market and this, that sort of supply, that pipeline of skilled workers? 
I don't know is my honest answer. However, I do think there is a a lack of understanding of what skills are needed and where they're needed and how quickly they're needed. You know, for many years in the UK context, we've been talking about the need for more people to move into STEM careers, and that's all very good and may very well be true, but the lack of specifics there is not helpful because psychology is a STEM career, but do we need several hundred thousand psychologists? Probably not. Engineering and technology-related pathways are really hugely important to so many aspects of uh, the way we live and the way we interact and um, just better understanding specifically what skills are needed, where they are needed and how quickly they're needed will go a long way towards answering that big question as, you know, where are the people that could move on to these engineering related pathways? In terms of the numbers coming through in the UK, which is, you'll be surprised to hear, the focus of Engineering UK, we've got a pretty stable share, as it were, of the undergraduate population studying engineering. And, you know, the areas shift around a bit, but um, that's relatively stable. What we've seen over the last, well, almost 10 years, since 2014, is a decline in apprenticeships. And it's a real cause for concern for us. They've gone down about 9% um, in engineering, manufacturing and technology areas across them. Actually, they're doing very well in some areas again. So ICT apprenticeships doing very well and actually got really quite um, more diverse intake than other areas. Whereas engineering, manufacturing, technology apprenticeships are down 34% in that period. And it tends to be the younger people who um, aren't entering into them, and these are obviously linked, the lower level apprenticeships. But, you know, that's how you're building your future workforce. So it's a real cause for concern. Let's stay on that that route into engineering then, because I guess, you know, it it begins with that interest, you know, you're introduced to it somehow at school, and then maybe you want to study it as a, you know, at college or maybe university. For a long time, there hasn't been another route into the industry, you know, like apprenticeships. What do you all think is the best way then you know virtue you've come through what I would class as quite a traditional route same as me like in maths and physics and then going into university etc and academic studies for sure are really important but I guess there are other ways to progress as well aren't there yeah, I think once joining the industry, you realise that a lot of people have come into the same position in different paths. So obviously I went through sixth form, then um, did a four-year degree to get my master's, and then I did my graduate um, what's called job. But there are things like apprenticeships and as well as degree apprenticeships. So as you're studying, you're also working, which I would love like other people to know that degree apprenticeships are also there and they're just as fulfilling and you get to the same outcome as if you were going to take any other route. And some people just went straight into working. Like you can just build up your experience straight from 16 and, you know, gather their experience that way just by working. So there's definitely loads of routes that you could take. Hilary, in the work you're doing with with the government, are degree apprenticeships part of the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And they, they are gently ticking up. They're doing okay. Um, And that's often people who may be in the workplace already having that opportunity for additional training um, and support through that training through the degree apprenticeship. But I would never say there's a best route into engineering. You know, the importance of having very many different routes and valuing them and making sure people know about them is is important in principle but particularly when we're trying to address the skill shortages and also the diversity shortages that we have and you know we talked a lot about maths and physics actually a lot of people go into engineering without both and sometimes either of those as a very strong academic bedrock they pick it up later and they're in areas of engineering where it doesn't matter as much a lot of the universities 
may ask for maths and physics, but won't necessarily require them. They'll let you in without. And there are lots of courses that are really trying to open up the diversity of their intake, letting people on with very different backgrounds. They're recognising that problem solving, that creativity, the design aspects, and they'll bring in the technical knowledge as they need at a later stage. But actually the fact that they um, didn't build it up whilst at school or college isn't stopping them from progressing. So I just want to quickly add about what Hillary said about the you don't have to have a strong foundation in maths and physics because that's completely true. That's actually just a small aspect of engineering. Like arts, people, I think, get scared for the fact they're not their strong suit is in maths or physics and that's what you need to do to excel in engineering. But there's a wide range of subjects that could easily feed into any aspects of engineering. And the wider we make that pool, the more people we're going to get, you yeah. know, and hopefully a more diverse yeah. pool as well. Yeah, We are still speaking... In this, in this recent part of the conversation about a, a very UK perspective. But we need 10 million more engineers in parts of Africa over the next 20 years, but we need them quite quickly. So does that mean that everybody needs to go through a three-year degree that's accredited by a professional engineering institution? Or can we get enough of the right skills in the right place within a year? Hilary, I want to talk about a report that Engineering UK published last November, I think it was, um, entitled Net Zero Workforce. Just tell me uh, a bit more about the report. What did it set out to do and what did you find most concerning? Yeah, so we wanted to look across all the different skills estimates that were coming out for what was needed for that net zero workforce or, you know, this number of green skills to generate a coherent estimate across all of the sectors, but giving us a bit more insight into exactly which skills and what timeline. And what we found were some really um, large numbers, which you mentioned in the um, intro. So, you know, estimates of 260,000 new jobs um, by 2050 for the energy and power and decarbonisation, all the infrastructure needed around that. Um, But we can't necessarily tell how that is broken down into different areas and can't add it into those generated for the transportation sector. So, for example, we've got estimates around um, electric vehicles will need 50,000 new jobs by 2040. They're all on different timescales. So we really do need government to take a lead here and generate the insights into what skills are needed for which sector and by what timeframes. And actually, you know, the, the data that you used from Engineering UK at the start, you know, thank you for that. Those were our data. They're pre-pandemic and they're pre-Brexit and they're pre-net zero commitments. I know the government is working on this and we're really keen to take their data as it comes through, hopefully really soon, and use it. I think we'll find that we really need to be looking at retraining, bringing people in at later levels and um, enabling people to repurpose their skills into these areas if we're going to meet the demands. This is a skills need that we all agree is absolutely fundamental and essential. Let's be optimistic. How do we turn this lack of engineers into an opportunity? Well, that we know that young people are very engaged by solving problems. And so framing engineering in that context is important. They want job security and they want good salaries. And those are two things that engineering offers. But also just disrupt the misconceptions that they have about what engineering was 50 years ago. That's not what it is now. Be in there really early with the messaging. I think the one last thing I would say is to increase the visibility of engineering in the curriculum. So what Virtue was saying, you know, her physics teacher 
happened to say, oh, you might be interested in engineering. You should have been coming across it on a weekly basis. And it's a word that is just very much underused in our education system. I agree with you very much, Hilary. I was in a conversation a while ago with Hyatton, the chief exec of the Royal Academy of Engineering, and she said something that stuck with me. This is in a UK context. When we talk about engineering as a society, it's it's caused a problem. So your train is delayed today because of engineering works. And she said at the time, wouldn't it be lovely to see, if, see a campaign that said something like, your train has arrived today on time because of engineering. Your plane has landed safely because of engineering. You know, that the, the hidden success of engineering needs to be celebrated much more as well. What role do you think schools, you know, the education system should play in encouraging engineers? So, so think about right from primary school or even nursery, actually, but, you know, the whole of our education system. Virtue. Letting engineers explain their day-to-day activities can, like, definitely help primary school and secondary school children a lot. Just seeing them and putting a face to the, to the actual, like, job, that can help loads. And just even showcasing YouTube videos of, of people vlogging their lives in engineering or made videos and showcase it. And that's another way of, like, showing to children or young adults what engineering entails. So there's loads more resources online now to show people i think that's right kids kids are on the phones kids are engaging with online platforms all of the time i think the key to engaging somebody in any subject is to make it personal to them so you know you've picked up your phone you've got that phone because of engineering you've been online you've you've created your own video do you know you're doing engineering there uh, or even down to basics as you were saying earlier on you know you, you built a lego bridge well done you've engineered something at the other end of the spectrum as well the way that engineering is taught at say tertiary level i think there are some really really good examples around the world now they teach engineering as part of a a project you know there's a problem here that we've all got to solve what are the skills that we all have and the knowledge we can all bring in from our different areas our different disciplines our different walks of life in order to solve this problem so enabling engineers to work with others is a and, and show that engineers work with others and are fabric of society is is key as well I think. We've mentioned sort of problem finding, creative problem solving, improving things, adapting, systems thinking, um, visualizing things. These are these are all what the Royal Academy of Engineering termed in their report the engineering habits of minds. How do we create engineering habits of mind? Can you create them or is it just something we either have or we don't have? Tim? I like the engineering habits of mind. Uh, I think it's good, you know, they're thinking like an engineer. What people are really identifying are very human habits. You know, test something, does it work? Oh, no, it didn't. So I'll change this bit and see if that works. It's very, I, I just think what we, what it's doing is, is highlighting what's inherent in most people anyway. I, most people in, in day-to-day lives have minor problems to solve and they will take a very human approach to solving it. And when you extrapolate from there, really, it's quite an engineering approach or what could be defined as an engineering approach. Okay, I want to move on to um, diversity in engineering. So from a report from the Women's Engineering Society in 2022, we know that women make up 16.5% of all engineers in the UK. Um, How do we ensure that more women join the industry? Hilary, I'm going to start with you. So that 16.5% has gone up 6%, 6% in the last 10 or 11 years. So there really is a good news story here. There is obviously a huge uh, distance still to travel and to women uh, at the same level as their overall workforce. They're about 48% 
present in the overall workforce. If women participated in the engineering and tech workforce at the same rate as they do in the overall workforce, there would be 1.8 million more women in the engineering and tech workforce, which I think would probably help us out quite a bit. <laughs> Virtue, you're, you're a recent graduate. What was the um, gender split like on your course and, and how do you see it? You know, does it look like it's improving? So on my course, I would say um, it's like 60, 40. So in terms of males, females, yeah, there was definitely a lot of women in my course. And I was, that's something I was just surprised about. Yeah. But then if you compare across like all engineer in terms of aeronautical, electrical and mechanical, civil engineers normally tend to have more females than all the other disciplines. I feel like there was a lot less women in um, electrical engineering. And then comparing university life to industry life, now I'm in the construction industry that number has drastically um, gone down in terms of like 60, 40. I would say like in my team of 37 engineers, two of them are uh, women, one including me and like my supervisor. So that, that figure took me by surprise. Breaking that stigma because yes, it's daunting knowing that you probably would be the only girl in terms of, especially if you're split across your different team, you probably will be the only girl. And that's when networks can really help. So if you're in a minority in a team and just feel that actually networking with people in similar situations can really help make you feel supported. You know, organisations are so open, I think, to suggestions as what what more they can do. Tim? Yes, networks are a part of it, but there's got to be some obligation, well, a heavy obligation upon those employers to make sure that all of their employees feel welcome, valued, and uh, as though they are contributing to whatever the issue is that that particular industry is working on. That's a very good point. There's no point um, asking all these women to come into this industry and then once we're here, not catering to like needs. So like just one minor thing in terms of like normally on a construction site, you should have two um, two separate toilets. I started my construction, my one of my projects and there wasn't a female toilet because obviously there's not there hasn't been a female on this site in like since the two years has been working. So the female toilet was turned into a storage. So there's no point asking women to come work if we're not catered to in terms of like everything that we should have. Gosh, that's, I, I was going to say it's shocking, but it isn't. It's, I'm sorry you had to go through that, Virtue. But there's those very basic needs as well. And then the, the wider structure around it. And this, is, this isn't just engineering, it's a societal thing. Just providing the space and the frameworks for people to feel included, not just in the first few months of their career, the first few years of their career, but throughout their career as well. How do we attract those sort of harder to reach youngsters, you know, those people who maybe come from poorer backgrounds? How do we attract and inspire those? How do we make them feel included in engineering? You know, engineering is for them. Well, the first thing is to actually go to them, to find them. So, you know, we and all the organisations we work with are, I think, increasingly being thoughtful about which schools and which groups of young people they work with. But actually, you also need to make sure that whatever you're doing is accessible and relevant. And the, particularly if you're going to schools in very socioeconomically disadvantaged areas, they often have a lot of other challenges. They're dealing with not least struggles with the teaching staff, actually, being able to recruit and retain specialist teachers. So you need to um, also be adaptive in what your offer is. And, you know, we put a lot more resource into the schools who need more support. And at the same time, we need to make sure that the people who are on those um, routes and pathways and from those backgrounds where they were already going into engineering and tech 
are still inclined to do so. The foundation's been working with Louise Archer at um, UCL Institute of Education for a little while on a programme that focuses on maker spaces, you know, these places in which people come together to share resources and knowledge and learn about manufacturing technologies, digital design and so on and so forth. But we recognise this huge growing international interest in the potential of those makerspaces as sites to inspire and engage participation of these underrepresented communities in, in engineering. So we're looking at uh, makerspace sites in everywhere uh, from the UK to uh, Nepal to the Philippines to the United States just to identify what are the good elements of practice to actually encourage people into the space and then to recognise that what they're doing in the space can set them on a pathway to making their local community better, to making wider society better, but all through making stuff and through doing engineering. I want to move us on to looking ahead to the requirements of future engineers and and what skills they might need because we're, we're moving towards net zero, etc. So looking ahead to the sort of coming decades, how do you feel about the role of engineers and engineering? Are you positive about it? Do you think we're going to meet the challenge or are you more concerned about it? Virtue, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm more positive. As engineers, we have a role to play in terms of like the infrastructure we put out there, the transport, and we can actually make a big, big difference. And there's also the fact that we're willing to learn from different countries in terms of like, we can see how some parts of like Western Africa is handling their climate change and how we can implement it in this country. Climate change doesn't discriminate. Like it just because it happened in like, say Nigeria, doesn't mean it's not going to happen in the UK. And we can just learn from different parts of the world and like come together knowing that we have this issue and we deeply care about it. I think this, we I yeah I'm optimistic we care so once you care that's just the first step to actually head in the right direction that's a really nice way of saying it virtue yeah Tim how about you yes I'm optimistic as well um the foundation has a program focused on Southeast Asia we call it the Southeast Asia skills enhancement program and it goes back down to these basic engineering skills for safety so how in this part of the world where population growth is driving a need for new critical infrastructure, how do we make sure there's the capacity and capability to build, maintain and operate things safely? But the other thing is how do we maintain the safety of the people working on those assets as well? And engineering skills for safety can do just that because there's a horrifying stat. It's probably a little bit out of date, but it was back in let's say 2015, 2016-ish, in a a limited number of um, growing economies in Southeast Asia, there was something like 124,000 deaths as a result of an accident at work. Over a comparable period, there were um, a few tens of deaths in the UK. That's a frightening figure. How do we show that not only is engineering a route for keeping things safe, it's also a route to keeping people safe. Engineering has a big role to play as well. Come on, Hilary, keep the... Tree or positive? I will be optimistic. It is so urgent and so critical. And you saw what was achievable across the world over the pandemic. I feel a bit disappointed that, you know, for me, I was like, oh, look what can be done. Look what systemic change and disruption can occur and what problem solving and ingenuity and commitment around something Um, And I think the problem is we have something that it's urgent to address, but its impacts aren't uh, 
incremental, right? It's obvious. It's obvious that that's the problem. Um, and how we can bring that sense of urgency in in a situation like that. But but I believe it can be done. I know we have to do it. So I'm going to say it's going to happen. Um, but I would love to see a plan. Um, and I'd particularly love to see that STEM skills plan to feel reassured that we know what we are aiming for and we've got a way to get there. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you all so much for joining me today. Now, just before we go, I want you all to have one message. Okay, so Tim and Hillary, what's your message to those who are already considering a career in engineering or maybe to parents who've got children who are interested in that career path? What would your message be to them? Oh, please come along. Uh, just that it's so rewarding and valuable and varied and creative and, you know, just such an impactful career. Brilliant. Tim? I think I can sum it up very simply by saying that um, engineering makes a better world. And Virtue, slightly different question for you. What about to our listeners who maybe have never even considered that engineering might be for them? What would your message be? I would always say you never know until you try it. So I'm not pushing the idea that engineering is for everybody, but you can't just write off the possibility without giving it a good try. Take the chance. You'd actually be surprised that there's a sector in engineering that's just catered for you and your set of abilities. Three excellent messages for our listeners there. Thank you very much. And that is it for today. Thank you all so much. It was a truly fascinating discussion. I could just talk to you all afternoon now thank you so much dr tim slingsby from lloyd's register foundation dr hillary levers from engineering uk and virtue bockaway thank you so much for sharing your experience and your insights as well and of course thanks to you for listening please do join us again for the next episode of the global safety podcast with lloyd's register foundation and remember to follow or subscribe so that you don't miss an episode thank you very much Bye.